Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Ida, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And this week, as we explore Vayelech, it is wonderful to have with us Dr. Gilly Kugler, who is Senior Lecturer of Biblical Studies in the University of Haifa, where she has just come to the end of her first year. Until recently, she was a lecturer in biblical studies and classical Hebrew at the University of Sydney. She explores in her work chosenness in biblical theology and has for some time explored the inter relation between politics and theology in biblical texts and is currently working on the intersection between mythology, psychology, and theology in the Hebrew Bible. She's the author of many articles, as well as the book, When God Wanted to Destroy the Chosen People, Biblical Traditions and Theology on the Move. A huge welcome to you, Dr. Kugler, and we really look forward to exploring Vayelech with you. Thank you very much, Simon. That's nice. Thank you. So be really great to maybe start with actually unpicking the Scout story and what that reveals about whether the generation of the Exodus actually did enter the land of Canaan. Okay. So the story of the spies appears in in a fir- first hand as say, said by the narrator in the book of numbers chapters 13 and 14 and there we see actually a, com- a complicated punishment at the, of the and at the end of the story at first there is an attempt or there is a, an intention of god to destroy the people this is the, his first maybe proclamation after the event takes place and then moses manages to please him or to convince him to refrain of this threat and the story ends in in what we see in the in in the fi- in what's called the final form of the story what we have in front of us it ends with final statements of god declaring that the current people the current generation the people that that has trans as they are committed to the the scene or the problem in at the event will not enter the land so the final word of the story of the final story of what we have in front of us as says that if we cite it and your children will enter the land and they shall they shall achieve what you wanted but but you will you will not last you the current generation the people that are addressed by god i was saying that uh, i kept saying the final form because um, because if we delve into the text there, the story there, we see that maybe there were supposed to be two different narratives about the event of the scout that went up to the land. And maybe in one of them, there was not even such a proclamation at the end. But nevertheless, what we have, the final the final solution is that they will not enter the land and because they will die in the desert. 
So this is the the famous story of the of the scout. Thank you for maybe setting the context and turning obviously to Deuteronomy. There is an awareness of a forty year wilderness wandering that we encounter in Devarim, but it makes no mention of the demise of the congregation during or at the end of the journey. And I wondered what you thought of why that is the case. Okay, so it's actually a surprising revelation. It was a surprising revelation to me to find out that nowhere in Deuteronomy, throughout the book, apart from the first couple of chapters, we don't find any reference to this demise and to a carry out of the punishment. There is no uh, execution of the threat or of the decision to exterminate the people in the desert. It's actually, um, on the contrary, what we find is that Moses speaks to the generation that went out from Egypt, and that is supposed to enter the land. This is the maybe essential discourse of the book of Deuteronomy, that the addressees to whom Moses speaks are those people that are supposed to enter the land. He keeps saying it to them. And so, as I said, for me, it was an interesting revelation to see that there's no acknowledgement about where and when it took place, this severe punishment that was given to them in the previous book and in previous chapters of the journey. What the reason is, so maybe we're actually coming to the conclusion and the conclusion, my conclusion was that the essential part or the core story of the book of Deuteronomy preserves a completely different tradition in regard to the story of coming to the land of Canaan. In other words, we have various different traditions and narratives that deal with the question of how this nation was formed, how this nation got to this place and status and formal relationship with the deity, with Yahweh. And, and the answer is that there were some, let's say, not plenty, but more than one answer to the, this question or to the questions. And Deuteronomy preserves an answer which is not about a punishment. It actually is, it's about something else. It's about what's the word praising or, or appreciating the capability of God to maintain a whole congregation, a very big and troubling congregation throughout this journey towards the land. And then maybe turning to how Moses addresses the people throughout the book of Deuteronomy, what light does this really throw on the problem that we're encountering here of whether or not the generation did enter I think this is our significant argument or significant consideration through which we start unpacking this this alternative tradition or alternative narrative. Maybe we can start off um, examining a few verses actually from, from a famous statement of Moses when he states to the people that it's not, sorry, I need to look it up quickly, when he said, 
when he says to his addresses that God has spoken not to anyone else apart from them and especially not to their children. And he has revealed his miraculous performance to them and not to anyone else. I'm referring to one of the statements of Moses to the people. Generally speaking, just to put the things in the context, it, the book of Deuteronomy is the last speech of Moses to the Israelites or to the people. And uh, it contains references to events that we, the readers, know of, some of which we know of from previous books. Supposedly, the addresses of Moses know it because they they know it from first hand and this is what he states to them for example in chapter 5 he says Yahweh our God made a covenant with us at Horeb it was not with our fathers that Yahweh made this covenant but with us the living every one of us who is here today face to face Yahweh spoke to us on the mountain out of the fires now just regarding the last bit of what I read, face to face, Yahweh spoke to us on the mountain out of the fire. This is something for a different conversation. It's a completely specific whole issue about the, how the interaction on the mountain, at the mountain took place. But I'm interested now at the, in what he says to the addresses regarding the direct interaction they had with Yahweh, unlike their fathers. So it's not about their fathers. It's not also about their children. It, this is, the, they are the generation that uh, were in contact with Yahweh. And the statement here is interesting because it, it was intriguing to many commentators throughout the years. They were intrigued by the such explicit statement of Moses that refers to the, uh, the current generation rather than the previous generation as the one that will enter the land if they were actually supposed to be demised in the at, at the wilderness. So there are various attempts to solve it. And also in modern times, there, there have been various attempts to solve it and to say that when when Yahweh says that it's not about the, par- the fathers, it's about them. Oh, Moses says that, sorry. Then it means that them, to get, together with everyone else or with the previous generations, or it's a reference to, to maybe later generations. But, but when we read it in the context of the full book, there is nowhere any allusion to something that has happened to this generation that went out of Egypt and that is addressed currently by Moses. All these attempts are in vain because there is no need to do that in the context of Deuteronomy. Thank you. And maybe looking at Deuteronomy, how can we discern the framework that it is maybe trying to reveal to us? What are the kind of concerns that the Deuteronomistic school are putting forward? Okay, so we need to discern first between Deuteronomy and Deuteronomic and Deuteronomistic. So the latter is what we call a big school that had more uh, a role of editing and uh, was familiar with many textual work that uh, preceded it. And this is what we find in later books, in the later prophets like Jeremiah. It has uh, a a sense of a Deuteronomistic editorial work. 
And we find it throughout the books of from Joshua to Kings. So Joshua and Judges and Samuel 1 and Samuel 2 and Kings, books of Kings. But we also find it in the first couple of chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. And the argument is that these first chapters are like when one writes an introduction to a book, knowing what the book is about. So the authors or the editors in this case, the redactors even, they've read, they had read the entire book before before that, they, or they also read the book of, of numbers or scrolls that they had already in front of them, some of the things that were already available and they that they've been familiar with. And knowing all these things, they they sat down and wrote the first two chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, maybe even two and a half, some bits of chapter three, and even some bits of chapter four. And this is what we call the introduction to the book of Deuteronomy that has a sense of Deuteronomistic knowledge in it and writing and approach in it. This is where we find closure. Uh, or maybe I should say a completion, the place to reconcile between the tradition that is prominent in the full book of the Deuteronomy and the tradition that the editors uh, were already familiar with, uh, in which they see the punishment and the threat or the vision of demise of demising in the desert. In the first two chapters of Deuteronomy, we find this is where we have states statements about about the generation that is going to die in the desert. And then maybe just finally going back to our original problem, Deuteronomy obviously has different concerns that it, as we've explored, wants to preserve. How do we square it with what the story of the Scouts reveal and why? So you're asking about how they compromise potential contradiction? that Exactly, yeah. How can we resolve that contradiction? I think, let's say, it took me a few years to come to the understanding that uh, the core text of Deuteronomy dismisses the idea of the demise in the desert. So I'm sure I'm not the first, the only person that hasn't noticed it. They actually do a very a great job by by integrating the tradition of the scouts and the punishment into the first two chapters. And then one has it in their mind when they read the rest of the book. But there's an additional uh ploy, I would say, or technique. And this is the destiny of Moses. So Moses, according to the first two chapters, and also according to a couple of other references in chapter three and four, chapters three and four, is predicted to die, is supposed to die, and is told to be dead by God in relationship or in, in connection to the destiny of the people. And this is achieved by several statements, some of which are not explicit, some of which are not clear. They are quite vague. But when we read it again in the final context, we see correspondence between their fate, the fate of the people, to the fate of Moses, of what will happen to him. And then it works well together. It actually says the current generation has sinned and Moses, for any for some reason, it could be because he has sinned as well, even though it's not stated 
explicitly in the book of Deuteronomy. It could be because he looks after them, maybe according to what the sages, Chazal says, say when they say that when Moses, if Moses joins the generation, then he will be their militia. They can say, he can say good things about them in the other world. Or it could be for some more prosaic reasons that he would die with them but then we get this compromise we have with we have a, a framework that opens up the book puts up the setting that the whole generation with their main leader is going to pass away and the new leader and a new generation would come along this disappears as said uh, throughout the book and we are only left with the case of Moses that dies in actually quite a respectful age, the, um, the age of 120, in order, according to my argument, to, to give space to a new leadership and to a new phase in the people's life. Dr. Kugler, thank you so much for exploring your thesis with us and for your important arguments. And there's certainly plenty for us to think about and wrestle with as we explore Vayelach. So thank huge... you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about our exciting content that we have for you on our mothership at jewishquest.org. And we look forward to meeting again next week. <laughs>